Thank you for listening to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast from Asheville, North Carolina. For more information on Trinity Baptist Church, please visit tbcashville.org. Or to learn more about our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton, please visit ralphsextonministries.com. The speaker for today is our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton. By the help of the Lord today, what I'd like to do is to introduce you to beginning Bible prophecy. Some have called this study Prophecy 101. And let me give you a little background about beginning the study of Bible prophecy. Sometimes people think that prophecy is mystical. And they talk about the images of the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. But what you must always understand is that the Bible is the best commentary on itself. You just keep reading, keep praying. The Bible teaches that it is no private interpretation. So what is the purpose of studying Bible prophecy? Why should we do that? All right. One reason is that your Bible is 25% prophecy. You pick up your Bible and one-fourth of your Bible is prophetic. Well, if a fourth of my Bible is prophetic, then I need to study it. I need to know what's happening. I need to know what it's saying. Prophecy is not for sensationalism. It's not to sell uh, T-shirts or to uh, get people to sell their house and move on top of Mount Mitchell with freeze-dried food. That's, that's not the purpose. Uh, Bible prophecy is put in the Word of God that we would study it for the end times that we would, listen to what the Bible said, not grow weary in well-doing. That when you see it dark socially, spiritually, that you do not internalize that and become a depressed person or an unhappy person. But he said, and when you see these things, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. So Bible prophecy was put in the word of God by God the Father that we would be encouraged that on our Christian walk on planet Earth, no matter what time period you were in, the prophetic word would be there to comfort you that uh, a Messiah is coming, that uh, Yeshua, if you're Hebrew, was on the way, the Son of God and so that you would have that prophetic word. Now, why do we study prophecy? There's three reasons. You can write these down. They're very easy to understand. The reason we start study Bible prophecy and we work on things prophetic, number one, is that if I really believe the Lord's coming, if I really believe that, if I believe the Bible, then I want to be right with God. I don't want to have a hope so I've got my fingers crossed. I got a four-leaf clover. I want to know about my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to have a no-so relationship. You say, is that possible? The Bible teaches that it's possible, that if you'll believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thou, thou shalt be saved. It says, for God sent His only begotten Son 
into the world to save the world. He didn't say there was a good possibility that he might. He said that he would, that he would be there to forgive our sins and to give us life eternal. So number one reason to study prophecy is I want to make sure I'm right with God because if I believe the prophetic word, then we know the Lord's coming back. Number two, if I believe the Bible and I believe the prophetic word, then I want to be right with my fellow man. The Bible talks about nothing between my soul and my Savior, that I'm right with the Lord. And the beginning of that righteousness, the beginning of that relationship is husbands and wives being right together. The next level of that is for parents and for children to be right together. Sometimes when you're a teenager, a young adult, sometimes it's hard to maybe want to obey mother or father and think, well, they don't really understand what I'm feeling. And what God's teaching is that if you will trust Him and trust His Word, then you can have a normal, healthy relationship in that family and that the parent can be that authority figure to protect the child, the teen, the young adult from the pitfalls of life, all right? So then it, it extends out to your family and friends. You don't want to have a grudge or a hard feeling. You say, Pastor Ralph, they lied on me. They destroyed me. They hurt me. Well, that happens. But I promise you, you'll be the winner if you begin to pray for God to help you forgive them and to restore peace to your own heart, even for those that have been hateful or been evil towards you. Number three, if I believe the Lord's coming and He could come at any moment, I believe the prophecies, then I want to not only be right with God, I not only want to be right with my fellow man, but I don't want to leave behind anyone that I love. I, if I love someone, I don't want to leave them behind. I want to be sure that I am a person that's salt and light in front of them. Even people that may not believe the Bible or may not even like you as a person, we are still to show kindness to them and to show the love of Christ. So those are the three reasons we study prophecy. And then for the Bible believer, those of you that are born again, the ultimate purpose of the prophetic word is to be comforted, to be encouraged. All right? Now, having laid that foundation stone, let's talk about uh, how do we know when the Lord is coming back. When I do prophecy conferences uh, in other cities, other churches, or at an event, one of the questions on cards that comes in is, where is the church in the uh, prophetic word of Christ? Uh, when will Christ come back? How will we know the date and the hour? Well, here's the main thing to remember. When you're studying prophecy and you come across something new or you've not discovered it before, remember this. God is very plain in His Word. No man knows the day or the hour of the Lord's return. So it's not to, something to be sensationalized. It's not something to to go on television and you just had a guy do this about 18 months ago and he was all over 
uh, TV. They bought billboards in Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. They even had signs uh, uh, in the subways of New York City. The Lord's coming. He set the date. People were selling their houses, quitting their jobs. And guess what happened? He missed. And so he said, well, he miscalculated, and he said it for 90 days later. He missed again. Uh, the bottom line is no man knows the day or the hour. If you're watching TV, if you're on the Internet, uh, if you're on the radio and some guy says, I've taken my computer and I've taken, taken the Feast of Israel and I've overlapped them and I've got it figured out, the Lord's coming Friday. Here's what you can do. Change the channel because that's a false prophet and there's no sense in wasting your time because that person is out of the Word of God. Now, think with me for just a moment. I mentioned to you about we have three distinct periods of time that are described in the Word of God. If I start in Genesis 1-1 and I start on a timeline going over, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, we have the creation and animation. Genesis chapter 3, we've got Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 4, I've got Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 5, I've got the sons of Noah. Genesis 6, Noah's finding uh, grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 7 and 8 and 9, I've got the ark under construction. I've got the flood and I've got the rainbow in the sky. And then I come to Genesis chapter uh, 10. And when I come to 10, I've got the sons of Noah. Genesis chapter 11, that's the chapter of chaos. In prophetic studies, 11, the number 11 is always associated with chaotic events. All right? So I'm talking about not your house number 11. That's chaos anyway. But, but uh, I'm talking about chaotic events in the Word of God. The, that's the chapter where we have the Tower of Babel. That's the Tower of, uh, chapter of the Confused Languages, the Scattering of the Nations, chapter 11. Chapter 12, we've got Abram called out of the Ur of Chaldees, right? So that's the birth of the nation of Israel, okay? That, Genesis 12, Genesis 1, 2,000 years. Genesis 13 to Acts chapter 2, with the power of God falls, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's another 2,000 years. Acts 2 to Revelation, we have another 2,000 years. And this is the church age, and we're living in that. So I've got 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years of recorded history in my Bible right now, right? And the Bible teaches that a day with the Lord, remember we used this verse Sunday, out of Peter, the day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a, as a day, all right? So this has got six days of time, and what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. And so what do we have? We have on the seventh day the millennial reign of Christ. So if I follow this timeline, I've got the church age, then I've got the carrying away or the calling out of the church, then I've got the tribulation, seven years. And then I've got the millennial reign of Christ, 1,000 years, the seventh day. Now, I don't know when this is going to happen. So I can't tell you that it's Friday, like the false prophet. 
I don't know. And God was very wise, wasn't he? Because if it was Friday, if we could figure it out and use a chart and say it's Friday, guess what we Baptists would do? Nothing. Till Thursday. <laughs> Thursday, we're going to have a revival meeting. It's going to get on, buddy. We're going to make restitutions. You're going to call your mother-in-law, tell her you love her. I mean, this thing is going to, it'll be a revival. Your front yard's going to be filled up. It'll look like a flea market. People are going to bring, Fred, I don't know how this mower got in my garage in 1988, but I'm bringing it back. And the hammers and saws and people will be paying back money they borrowed. And then... Folks will be over there at the pastor's office writing a check. Pastor, <laughs> Mom and I, we cried last night. We want to do something. We cashed a CD. Here's, here's 50000 for mission, and here's 50000 on the building fund. They know that check ain't going to clear. Lord's coming in the morning. Huh? That's human nature. And God knows me. He knows you. So guess what He did? He hid it. No man knows the day or the hour. So, if I can't spot it on this timeline, studying, then my job as a student of the Word of God is to work backwards. I know He's coming. So, when did we start Matthew 24? And that's where we're going to read right now. So that's where we concluded Sunday, Matthew 24. And look what the Word of God says because the eighth verse in Matthew 24 is the key. And so in Matthew 24, uh, the Word of God says uh, in verse 3, Jesus is with the disciples. And as He said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto Him privately saying, Tell us, number one, when shall these things be? Number two, what shall be the sign of thy coming? And number three, what will be the sign of the end of the world? Now Jesus gives them a mini course in prophecy. I'm doing prophecy 101, but he did prophecy 101 light. He put it all in a little package of about seven verses put it in there so the disciples would see it. And so you go to verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, and then you come to the key verse, verse number 8. And what does he say? All these are what? The beginning of sorrows. So on my timeline of prophetic events, then I need to work backwards and say, when did prophecy time start happening. Now there's a key rule in prophecy you always have to remember. Number one, always remember no man knows the day or the hour. That's a rule. Number two, always remember in prophecy that God never conflicts himself. God will never speak against the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will never speak against God. Jesus will never speak against the Father. There'll always be unity in the Godhead. Number three, when you're studying prophecy, you always have to remember that God doesn't use a calendar and God doesn't use a watch. God uses the nation of Israel. So the prophetic clock is never moving towards the coming of the Lord. God hailed it. Well, look what happened. 2,000 years ago, Jesus is crucified. 
70 AD, Titus comes in with the Roman legion and they ransack the, the city of Jerusalem and they literally tear the, the uh, temple down. They set it on fire. It melts all the gold and silver that's on it. And they fulfill the prophecy here of Matthew 24. Not a stone will be together. And when it cooled, the general allowed the men to loot and they took every stone apart to get the coal, uh, the chilled gold and silver that had collected in the groups, okay? So that's how he paid the men that day for looting what happened in Jerusalem. Now, that's 70 years after the death of Christ. At that point, the Roman legion then took all the temple treasures out, like the menorah, and you go to Titus Arch there in Rome, Italy. Some of you are going there to study with us in May on the journeys of Paul, and you'll see it carved in stone where they carried the loot out of the temple and brought it to Rome, Italy, okay? So they celebrated on that celebratory arch of victory. Now, when that happened, part of the Roman legions then took the Jewish people and they made slaves out of them and they scattered them everywhere they had conquest and they let them go be slaves. Now, here's what you've got to remember. Some of the people saw the handwriting on the wall. They saw what was happening and they fled. One of the latest displays in the Bible Museum in Jerusalem is from Yemen. And the Yemenite Jews, that's the Jews that fled in front of the Roman legion. They realized what was happening. They took off and they went down to the desert, down through Saudi Arabia and down to the coast. And they uh, abided there. And we now have some of those surviving Torah scrolls that have just been put on display there in Jerusalem, okay? So they scattered. So we know when you go to verse 32 uh, of, of Matthew 24, it says, Now learn of a parable of the fig tree, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Now, it says here uh, that this is doors, plural. That's the scientific door, that's the economic door, that's the geopolitical door, and that's the religious door. There's multiple doors there according... Remember, this is out of the mouth of Jesus. He's talking, he's teaching in Matthew 24. So he said, you will know these things, okay? Now, if I go back up to the, my text verse, verse 8, it said, all these, all these are the beginning of sorrows. That we're going to see many things happen. So if I don't know the day, if I don't know the hour of the Lord's return, then he allows me by studying the scriptures to work myself backwards and to say, well, when do all these things, out of the many lesson in there, five, six, seven, and eight, when do these things begin in sequencing? Now, here's a little rule of Bible prophecy. You've always had things going on. We've always had earthquakes. We've always had famine. We've always had pestilence. But here's what happens. When the prophetic concentration begins, it's like going out in the yard with a big old magnifying glass 
and you catch the sun rays and you hold it down over a blade of grass or a piece of paper and that innocent sunshine, right, is collected by that glass and then it focuses, you move it up and down and you begin to focus until all of a sudden, poof, it gets hot enough to cause spontaneous combustion and it bursts into flames. Well, what God's saying, right before the Lord comes back, you are going to be the generation that witnesses the spontaneous combustion. You're the ones that's going to see the beginning of the end. The Lord could come tonight. Everything's fulfilled prophetically, and I hope He does. And I, I know a lot of you got family and friends that my dad talked about heaven till he took his last breath. He wanted the Lord to come. And Musette talked about heaven. She took her last breath. She knew what was coming. She pointed to heaven. Everybody that's lost someone you love, they have a real, a real understanding of the reality of heaven far better than we'll ever have. Right? They know. They understand. It's real. And so what God did is He said, I'm going to let some of you be alive when the Lord comes back and you'll see this spontaneous combustion, the collecting of all these events. That's why Sunday morning's message was so important. Everything I gave you Sunday morning happened in seven days from the peace treaty of the century all the way to the coronavirus, uh, all the way to all those earthquakes, all the way to the locusts. Think of that, the desert locusts. They are 56 million locusts per square mile in Africa right now. And, and it's hard to imagine. Five nations already in a state of emergency. 30 nations endangered. And famine is the reason. And so what God did, He said, if you're a student of the Word of God, if you go to church to learn, not a social activity, but if you want to learn the Word of God, you want to study it, He said, I'll put markers together so that you will know that it's the time for us to do our best to live as close as we can to the Lord, to love our children, love our grandchildren, and to be faithful, salt and light for this generation. So working backwards, where do I see this beginning? Where do I see that start? Well, what did I say a moment ago? What does God use to tell time with? Israel, right? So May 14, 1948, if I'm going to work backwards, that's where I have to begin. There's no other place because we had no nation of Israel. Remember my dad got saved downtown Asheville when the Irish evangelist was in our community, William McBurney, 1937. And the night my father got saved, that evangelist was preaching that the Jews are going to have a homeland and they're going to go home. Now, some people try to replace Israel with the nation of, uh, with the church, but it won't work. It won't work prophetically and it won't work scripturally. God's not going to break his covenants that he made just to fit my theology. He's going to keep His Word. He cannot lie. He will keep His Word and He will keep His covenant. And He said, I will have a homeland for the Jews and they will come home. How do I know that? I just read it to you. 
Matthew 24, verse 32, he said, this is how you will know. Now, if we're beginning students in the Word of God in prophecy, we're, we're covering a lot of territory, but this is the kind of thing that you can back up and you can play it again on the internet and you can back up again and play it on the DVD and follow all of these basic foundation stones to where we are. So if I have to go back to where Israel starts coming home, then look what happened. Here's the pendulum of prophecy. It stopped since Jesus allowed the Jews to be scattered. 70 AD, it hadn't moved. It's hit the pause button. But then, May 14, 1948, God struck the pendulum and we started counting down to that spontaneous combustion of multiple events that tells the church. Listen to me carefully right here. Not the world, not unsaved, not non-Bible believers. The Bible says when the Lord comes back, they are going to act like they had been robbed by a thief in the night. They won't know what happened. How did y'all disappear? And so he said, but for the student of the Word of God, the Bible believer, you know when the countdown started again. And when it started, then you'll be watching and you'll be waiting for the Lord's return. So... Having laid that foundation, then we know that place to begin our research on the beginning of the end, Matthew 24, verse 8, all these are the beginning of the end. Then where do I go? Well, I have to go to 1948. That's the place to begin. Um, and let me just hit the high places for three or four things for you. December the 10th, 1948, the United Nations declared the world, W-O-R-L-D, World Bill of Rights. We started talking globally December the 10th, 1948. Porsche automobile was invented in 1948 and assembly line started with new technology out of Europe and out of Germany. And so the uh, 1948, the access storage device was invented because it's going to be part of what's going to happen in the world of computers. Believe it or not, long playing records, 33 and a third LP, was invented in 1948. One of my favorite things out of 1948, I use every time I go fishing, Velcro, 1948. Yeah, that is uh, one of the things that was invented. The transistor radio in 1948. And then a lot of us can remember that uh, something else special happened. The first modified stock car race for NASCAR in Daytona Beach, Florida, 1948. West Berlin, the Soviets blocked the food and the supplies for West Berlin. 1948, America started the airlift. And then the GIs have come home out of World War II, 1948. We had a new invention and a new way of building. It was called prefab housing, a new technology for World War II veterans. And then we had a wonderful game invented in 1948. It was Scrabble, 1948. 
Czechoslovakia uh, had an internal revolution, uh, pressure from the uh, Soviet Union, and Czechoslovakia turned communist in 1948. Sri Lanka gained independence from Great Britain in 1948. Burma had independence given in 1948. In 1948, something we've heard in the news all week, WHO, the World Health Organization. It was online in 1948. 1948, we had the birth of NATO for Europe. Back then it was called the Western European Treaty. And you had uh, Belgium, uh, Britain, uh, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, and France. Those five nations made up that first alliance that will become NATO. Now, let's get nostalgic for just one minute before we go on in prophecy. Let's think about how good it was in 1948. How many was born in 48? Raise your hand. All right. Well, guess what? 1948, uh, if you wanted to go to the movie, it wasn't $15. It was 60 cents. If you wanted to buy a gallon of gasoline, it was 16 cents. A loaf of bread was 14 cents. And a two-pound bag of Maxwell House coffee was 85 cents. And onions, 10-pound bag, was 49 cents. Pork and beans, 10 cents a can. Uh, hamburger in the grocery store meat market was 45 cents a pound. So uh, then if you wanted to buy a house in 1948, a five-room bungalow with an acre of land was $7,000. One acre of land and a five-room bungalow. Uh, if you wanted to go out west where they were building new developments uh, out in Nevada and Nebraska, you could get a two-bedroom construction brand-new house for $7,000. In the United States, the average price home was $1,750. And a brand new car? Well, you could get a brand new car for $1,250 in 1948. So I just want to set for you that all this doing a timeline, it actually stopped at a place where you could buy gasoline for 16 cents a gallon and two pounds of coffee. And listen, I have a little change left over from a $2 bill, which they had back then as well. So you're alive and hearing to see. All right, so prophetically, what did this countdown do? What all happened? And let me give you uh, out of this part one. I'm, there's so much material that we'll have to break it down. Part two, uh, or Prophecy 102, will be the nation of Israel. All right, 2 Timothy 3.1. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now, the Word of God is quite clear that you know that there is going to be a perilous time. And so that means more than one problem, more than one danger that will be coming in the last days. And so, I don't know if you're aware of it, but America has gone so far so fast that September the 30th is the annual International Blasphemy Day. And you see them making fun of the Lord's Supper. And then you see that 
their founder says that blasphemy is a law uh, to protect the all-powerful supernatural deity from getting its feelings hurt. In other words, they make fun of God or anything about God, and they've joined alliance on a lot of events with uh, another group that we've seen uh, in larger cities, and that's the atheists. Uh, here is one of the toys that's being sold on the market for a lost generation. It's called the Crucify uh, Christ Kit. And you can buy this for your children and uh, they can go home and they can have their own mini crucifixion uh, and the crucifying of Christ. Now, one of the things that happens, you don't get to this intersection without taking God out of the culture. And you don't get here without taking prayer out of school. And you don't get here without taking the Bible off the teacher's desk. And so uh, we don't, you don't really want to know what you've got because that's what happens. And when you begin to see that, then we have an explosion. Uh, how do I explain this? It's a sequencing of events. You begin to be disobedient without any word of God without any accountability to God. And so the first level is then you become, with peer pressure, movies, internet, then you become to be rebellious against your parents. That's the first thing. Then you become rebellious against school and authority. And then you become rebellious against the culture, and you become counterculture. And then the ultimate rebellion is to be a rebel against God. I don't want God and I don't need God and I don't want to be around God. And there's people in this building, people listening to me on the internet, people watching this DVD, and you have actually been in your home and had children, grandchildren walk down the hall and scream and say, I hate you. I wish I'd never been born. I hate, I can't wait till I get out of here because that rebel has moved inside their heart. There's been nothing to counterbalance them from the culture. And when that happens, then the Bible says we will become a people without natural affection. And this uh, three precious children are from Deer Park, Texas, and their mother uh, killed all three of these little children. And we just recently saw a picture uh, of a mom and dad both passed out on opioids in the front seat of the car. And remember, and the little guy's in the back seat. You know, he's still strapped in. And when the police find him, both parents are unconscious, have to use Narcan, and the little guy is in the back seat watching his mom and dad almost die. You know what's happened? We left God out, out of the culture, and so we're now having this take place. It's without natural affection. It also progresses in intensity. Uh, this precious family here, this dad, uh, his name's John. He's 38 years old. His wife's name is Mary. She's 35 years old. Little boy six, little girl's five, baby six months. But the 14-year-old brother comes home from school, angry, upset, headphones, listening to music that was uh, rebelling his heart, his life. He's angry with God. He's angry with family. And he 
goes and kills all five of his family. Killed his mom, killed his daddy, killed his three siblings. And he's at the big age of 14. You say, that can't happen. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the devil is a liar. He's a dammer. He's a destroyer. And if he can, he'll take our most precious treasures by taking us away from the things of God. And then we begin to see what we're feeding on on the internet, what we're feeding on like Super Bowl. I hope that you really call the NFL. I hope you call Fox that would take the halftime show and turn it into nothing but a show of exploiting women and vulgarity. And whoever thought if they went to a football game with their children, they would have to endure uh, a strip pole in the middle of the football stadium. Whoever, I know that's not popular, but this is what we need to be aware of. This is how we're sliding down morally, culturally, and we're dehumanizing the female and her body in our culture with music and internet and what we're seeing take place. And we need to know that people of faith have morals and convictions. And when you become the lovers of pleasure, then it becomes about me, it's mine, it's mine, and then it's all about the selfie generation. Then the moral decline begins to take over, the TV, the movies, and believe it or not, they're even using commercials to push an agenda. Commercials have an agenda built inside of them that would be against the scriptures or against the things of God. Here's a bumper sticker you see a lot around our community, but what you need to realize is that this is a form of godliness because you can't coexist with what is not of God the Father. And, there's, and what the, the religious world wants to do is they want you to use any name, use any symbol, just don't talk about Jesus. And the reason is Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus said that no man shall see the Father except through who? The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're there. And, and this is in the Word of God. 1 Peter 4, 7 said the end of all things is at hand. And then the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 25, he says to hold fast till I come. You say, well, Pastor Ralph, what can we do against this tidal wave? What can we do? Well, you're right now in a campaign in this local church to have a sure financial foundation. And you're in a campaign to invest in the next generation of children, teenagers, and young adults, and your grandchildren. Why? Because the answer to it is right here. You've got to go back to the family unit. We've got to love our children. We've got to spend time with them. And, and ladies and gentlemen, we can't wait on a Christian school to educate our children. You can't wait on Sunday church or Sunday school to educate your children. They go to church 45 minutes on Sunday. They may be in Sunday school a half an hour. And you know what? They need to hear from mama and daddy that mama and daddy love God and love the Word of God and that we're a family of faith and that we will not give up. That family unit is the key. Now, that brings us to this pivotal point. Here's my timeline. 42, 43, the world's at war. 45, Hiroshima 
46, 47, and in 1947, we had a couple of important things happen. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947. That was to uh, arrange for the establishment of the birth of Israel, 1948. That's your inerrant, infallible, holy inspired Word of God. 1947, they found the Dead Sea Scroll for the book of Isaiah. It's in the Rockefeller Museum. You unscroll it, it reads verbatim with your King James Bible that you'll know when you have your Bible in today's world, you don't have to be afraid to believe the promises. You don't have to be afraid to have trust in the Word of God. Did man write this? God arranged everything for this end of time. And guess what? In the Dead Sea Scroll case, K4, uh, you know, I've been there many, many times. The last trip we were there, uh, Andrew actually put the drone inside K4 so that we could look inside there. And guess what we're finding out, ladies and gentlemen? Every book of the Bible has been found but the book of Esther out of those caves. And they believe the shepherd boy that threw the rock, found the first jar, took the leather out of it, took it home, that his mom and dad, he couldn't read or write. Parents could not read or write. And they believe they laid his little foot down, drew around it, and cut him out a pair of sandals out of the book of Esther. Uh, but the rest of the scrolls were taken to the Kando family, and the grandfather was friends of my dad. And so we've been able to go, and if, when you go with us in September, we're going to go up to Mr. Kando's, and he's got only Dead Sea Scroll jar that's not in the Israeli museum. And that was the deal he made with the Israelis. If he would uh, uh, turn over all the uh, scrolls that he had, they would allow him to keep that one piece of history. All right, now let's jump into 48. Pay attention how quickly the world changes. 1948, George Gamow, and look what happens. He starts teaching to remove God from creation. This man is the father of the Big Bang Theory. 1948, for the first time in our schools, our universities, we started replacing the creation. And we started telling the kids, well, maybe there was a big explosion and something happened. And so it starts the push to remove God from creation. 1948, we had uh, the Polaroid camera invented. And Edwin Land did that invention. And it, you say, well, why is that important? It's the first time that you can make an image appear on a piece of paper. You could take a picture and run it through the rollers, and then an image in three minutes or so would come out and appear. And there's a connection for that thing, but it's in Revelation 13, but it's uh, something that you would begin to see that we've actually had a technology explosion in 1948. In 1948, uh, Dennis Gabor, he invented the hologram in 1947. And that's where you can have a 3D image protected. And right now, we've got a man running for president that's using the hologram. And uh, Andrew Yang, he's using this to be in one, uh, more than one event at one time. He says, I'll be in this building and then I'll project my image to two other events, and it looks like he's standing on the platform 
So good idea, you can cover a lot of ground with a hologram. So that's the technology that was invented in 1948. One of the most interesting inventions of 48 was cybernetics. And uh, Norbert Wiener was the great mind of the science of making machines come alive. And uh, by the way, uh, our wounded warriors have taken advantage of this invention from 1948 because uh, he got uh, his papers on cybernetics got published and it was to, uh, putting together a biological system with a mechanical system and all of this came about in 1948. Now when that happened, we see Revelation 13 and 14, the miracles that begin to come together. In verse 15, it, you begin to understand what's going to happen with technology. It says that he'll give power to the image. So there's going to be a transferring as we go forward. Now quickly, notice what happened in Daniel 12 and verse 4. Here is the communication, the explosion of knowledge. Daniel said, even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and here it comes, knowledge shall be increased. We double every 12 months what we know in computers. You take what we know right now in the world of computers and 12 months from now, then we'll double that knowledge capacity. In other words, what Apple has on the line now selling and using, by the time research and development gets through this year, this will be obsolete. And that because it's all changing. You used to have one uh, camera on the back of your phone. Now you can have two, three, or four on the back of your phone. We're doubling all that technology and explosion. The Bible talked about that there'll be signs in the heavens, Luke 21, distress of nations, and then this chapter we're in, Matthew 24, verse 14, it says that there'll be a witness or an understanding. Now, somehow, all the nations are going to see the, the Lord's return. Not when he comes for the church, but when he comes back. It's going to be there. Somehow the world's going to see the witnesses there in the, in the book of Revelation. And so think about it. We used to figure out how in the world are they going to see those witnesses killed in Jerusalem? Well, some guy's walking down the street and they start stoning these two prophets and he's going, oh man, God, let me get there. And he's going to post it. And it's going to go around the world. It's going to go viral. And everybody's got a phone. They're going to be doing it. And the technology for all that is in your hand. When you hold your cell phone right now, you have more computing power and technology than the day NASA put a man on the moon and all their computer banks added together. You've got more right here in your phone. That's how this knowledge has exploded. And so we're seeing it. And now we got the birth of global communication, increase in knowledge, the platform to shape minds, the power with social network, and what do we hear about all the time? Fake news, fake news. You read the news now, you don't know if it's real or not. And then you see a picture, and you don't know if that's real or not. Because somebody could be uh, making uh, the picture not really be where it's located or where it's supposed to be taking place. Here's how it all started. 
1945, we had 5,000 televisions. Most of them were military universities and a few homes. By 1948, we've got one million TVs in America. And that's how we're going to have everybody in America in school at the same time. We're going to let Archie Bunker make us laugh at taking away morals and values. And that's what happens. You begin a little time, just a little bit, little bit, just a little more, little more. It's sort of like the frog, he'll jump out of the hot water, but if you'll put him in cold water and then turn the heat up a little at a time, he'll stay right there till he's cooked. And what America's done is we've allowed the devil to put us in the cooker and listen, if that had been on your TV in 1950, you would have shot your television. You would have. You wouldn't allow that to be on your TV or on your cable. You would not have allowed it. But now it's on every, and, and we don't have, you know, we used to have three channels in Asheville, right? And, and then we moved on downtown while we had public television come online. And we had four channels and aluminum full and rabbit ears. And, and, and now you hook up to a cable box and you've got hundreds of options. Think about that. And so things that you never thought you would see. And how many of them lean to the dark side, the side that is anti-God and uh, is promoting a satanic theme? Uh, December the 29th, 1948, the United States uh, State Department, it makes its plan to launch its first global communication system. And so now, 48, we're tying it all together. 1948, we had Claude Shannon, and he's the founder and father of the electronic communication age. He had the technology, he had a, a great theory, mathematical laws governing the transmission and the processing, and here it comes, and the storing of digital information. You can't have a cell phone, you can't have a computer without what God put in that man's brain in 1948. And there it is. The media's power to change uh, viewers from a biblical worldview to a humanistic worldview. And it began 1948 with the birth of computers, 1948. When I worked for Craft uh, Foods in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, when Musette and I uh, had gotten married and we moved down there, uh, I worked with an IBM 360 computer uh, in my department. And it had to be on a floor that was on springs. And it had to be a temperature control room. And then we had to have data cards that we go in and would feed to it. And that computer, would, you know, it would fill up the width and the height of this auditorium. And, and now, when you go to Target or Walmart and you buy one of these 99-cent little computers, it has more computing power than that IBM 360 did back then. And, and what God's allowing you to see is that technology is there. And we see the magnetic tape recorder was invented in 1948. Quantum uh, electrodynamics come online. And you can't have a computer if you don't have some place to store the memory. And Richard uh, Feynman, uh, he discovered this quantum 
uh, electrodynamics. And in 1948, all of that was merged together with audio, and there we got television broadcast. And the uh, television platform was built. And if I had time, we'd go to Jude, we'd go to Romans 1.22, and uh, you'd begin to see all of these technologies are wrapped up in the Word. And when you begin to think about uh, the stations that come online, you had all of um, New York City, L.A., Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. They all had television stations go online this year, 1948. So this seems to be the focus point, the beginning of the end. The birth pains, uh, the Matthew 24, verse 8, that begins right here in uh, 1948. Now let's review real quickly before we go home what he said in 24. He said, the disciples said to Jesus, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? And then he, the third question was asked, and what shall be the sign of the end of the world? And he said, you're going to have all these doors, geopolitical, scientific, all of these technology things that are coming online. Well, here's the big thing about the world. 1949, Taiwan comes out of China. They started in 47, 48, made official in 1949. North Vietnam, South Vietnam. That began in 1948. And you have North Korea, South Korea, 1948. And then we also had uh, Pakistan coming out of India in that 47, 48, and 49 period of time. All of this is happening around the world. Nations are being born all at the same time. It's just like the clock was hit, the countdown started, and all these events began to happen. And so here's what you end up with, 1948, that's the computer. And then underneath it, 1960, then 1970, then 1980, then 1990, then 2000, the laptop, and now here we are in 2020. We're doing a lot of the computing right here on our phone. And so we begin to tie not only the world together, but then you begin to tie the global economy together. Computers allowed, that birth of computers allowed the world to talk money. And so they could interchange. Banks are now linked together. And our borders are being erased. And so you go home, you turn on Bloomberg or one of the financial channels, Fox uh, Financial. And when our stock markets close, you'll see stock markets are opening in other countries. You get up early, you can do the Asian markets opening. Why? Because it's global. And you begin to see the beginning of global authority in this 1948-49 period. And then what happened here, we had in 48 the International Monetary Fund. And what's it all moving up towards? At Revelation 13, no man might buy or sell, say that it had the mark of the beast, the name of the beast, or the number of the beast. I was in Virginia the other night and someone said to me, Pastor Ralph, I would never ever take the mark of the beast. I would never ever. And I said, no, no Christian would. I said, I don't think that's a, something for discussion. I think we'll be with the Lord. But I said, you don't realize it. We're already in a numerical system. 
If you don't believe me, go to Angles or Kroger or Publix and check out, and you get up to the counter and say, by the way, don't scan my groceries. Just add it up and I'll pay you. And they'll tell you, we can't. We can't. We have to scan it. You go, you go to Target, you go to Walmart, they're going to they're gonna scan it. You, you, can, you can't even go buy a set of tires. They're going to scan the tires. You go buy a bulldozer, they're going to scan the side of the bulldozer. Everything's got a barcode on it. Well, who organized all that? You can't buy right now because the number system is already interlaced. And so, when did this all start counting down? It was May 14, 1948. Israel becomes a nation. So if you're doing beginning prophecy 101, you've got to build backwards to this date and begin to realize all the technology for recording, all the technology for computers, the microprocessor was invented in 1948. You want to go on with 1948? Guess what? Planned Parenthood was born in 1948. America started killing babies. We didn't kill babies in America until 1948. Ladies and gentlemen, and they were killing babies when Jesus came the first time. And according to the Word of God, that's one of the things that we'll know is nigh even at the door. You see, 1948, the Jewish refugees traveled to Israel after the Holocaust. And that's that countdown. That's that beginning. And so when they started going back into the land, then guess what? There's your clock. The nation of Israel. And God tells time with that little piece of real estate. I don't know why he chose the children of Abraham. He could have chosen Navajo Indians. He could have chosen Eskimos. He could have chosen some island in the Pacific. But God chose the nation of Israel and allowed, think about it, and allowed his son to be born into the nation of Israel. And he is their promised Messiah. Somebody asked me last week, how do you explain the uh, revival of hatred for the Jews around the world? The anti-Semitic conduct in Russia the unbelievable events in Germany, the rise of the Third Reich uh, among the children, the young adults there in Germany. How do you explain all that in Great Britain? The reason the Labor Party uh, had such an, uh, a great loss in the election is somebody revealed their secret conversations and their hatred for the Jew. And we had uh, Johnson elected to be uh, the Prime Minister of Great Britain. But that anti-Semitic flavor was in their government. And why is it there? There's no answer except Jesus was going to be born out of the Jews, out of the land of Israel. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 12. It even says that Lucifer, the devil, the dragon, he tried to kill him when he got born and that he was waiting for the woman. The woman of, of Revelation 12 is the nation of Israel. Well, now I've crammed your little brains full of enough stuff that you can go home, take it apart, and study it. And uh, I hope that it's been a blessing, but it's sort of a foundation stone. And you say, well, what about Israel? There's so much. 
We're going to have to come back for Prophecy 102 and we'll do the birth of the nation of Israel, the hand of God, when David defeats Goliath. We'll tie it all together. Let's pray, shall we? Father, bless your word. Bless the reading of your word. And God, may we be a people of faith as we go home tonight knowing that you're nigh even at the door. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the fact that you loved us and that you're coming again. We give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being with us today. I pray that today God spoke to your heart. You know, it's one thing to hear Ralph talk. It's one thing to hear a choir sing. It's one thing to hear a group bring a special song presentation. But it's altogether different when you're sitting there in that hotel room, in your house, maybe listening on your phone while you're at work, and God speaks to your heart. That's not me. That's not a Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian church. That's God. That's personal. That's you. And the Bible teaches quite clearly that when God touches your heart, when He speaks to you, that you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Bible teaches that all of us have to have Him. You say, well, Brother Ralph, your dad was a preacher. My dad being a preacher couldn't help me. Well, you say your mama taught Sunday school and she prayed. That couldn't help me. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, not me, not the Baptist, the Bible says that there's none righteous, though not one. Today is the day of salvation. You can begin anew. It can start over. The past can be covered by the blood. You can get out of living in your rearview mirror. The guilt, the problems. God can forgive you and you can start over today. You say, Brother Ralph, how is that possible? Well, a simple prayer is that very beginning. God, be merciful unto me a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And I promise you, God, from this day forward, I'll serve you with the rest of my life. You can begin again in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you call us, you write to us. We'll send you a copy of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to get into a local church, a church in your community, that you can have a fellowship of faith that will help you grow and teach you about the Word of God. Today's the day of salvation. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Let's serve the Lord together and let's meet each other in heaven. I'll be praying for you and I ask you to pray for me.